Would you open God's precious holy word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Genuine relationships in the church. Paul's letters here, well, all of them, I suppose, his epistles to churches, but this one in 1 Thessalonians is just real churchy. Because of what Paul had feared regarding the church after he left and what he delightfully had discovered about the church later. We also pick up on how Paul, of course, what, what preacher ever finishes his work? It's, it's, it's never completed. But the Apostle Paul, it seems, has a sense of of having not finished what he wanted to do in uh, Thessaloniki. Genuine relationships in the church. Let's, let's look at it uh, together here. Paul said in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians that uh, he was delighted to know that the Thessalonians had become imitators of him and his his party, his traveling party. What we're to understand then is that who Paul was in Christ, what Paul did for and in Christ, was in a sense transferred to the Thessalonian believers. So when we read this, we understand when he says in the first chapter, they're imitators of him, then he is to, he is under, Paul is understanding and the, the spirit teaches us through this letter that as Paul was doing in the spirit, so then Christians are to do as well to be imitators of such as the Apostle Paul. Then the first thing about genuine relationships in the church is that we're to have a genuine interest in one another. It's it's just us in this world, the church, as we live in our generation And we have a calling, a commission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're in this thing together. We are the body of Christ, uh, most especially in the sense of the local church. So as Paul writes to them, he expresses to them the importance of having a genuine interest. And he relates that as how his interest is genuine concerning them. So let's look at it here. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we were pleased to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. It takes you back to Acts chapter 17. Paul had been mistreated. He'd left Philippi and Berea, and then he comes to Athens, second missionary journey. And consumed with concern 
about the Thessalonian church, he, it, is, it is decided and determined that Timothy, the younger one of the group, would go back and uh, bring back a report. And then from Corinth, when Paul made it to Corinth, from Corinth, Paul would write this letter about the news that Timothy had brought to him. A genuine relationship, number one, means that we have a genuine interest in people. This is my fifth church in uh, 47 years, 47 years, I guess. Now, a whole lot of people, a lot of my former congregants are dead. It's, it's hard for me to hear from them. And if I ever did, I'm not sure I'd ever be the same again. Um, but there are still some who will maintain contact with me. And I'll have to admit, now, now those who don't care don't make contact, you know, it's, but there are those with whom you have a genuine relationship. There's a genuine interest because we were together in the cause of Christ. And at that place and in that time, there is a, a memory of the mutual work. What I was trying to accomplish as a pastor and what in that time under my pastoral leadership, they believed they and the individuals and the church as well needed to be accomplishing. And so from time to time, I heard from a fellow, it's been since, it's been 20 something, nearly 30 years, I guess, since I was his pastor, but he, uh, he, he, he sent me a, a text or a message or, or whatever. And he was expressing how he, he's, he, he's, he, he was expressing something that I had preached on uh, a long time ago. And we engaged in a brief conversation and he was talking of how that particular passage works itself out in life. That delighted me to hear that. And all along I get, I get people who make contact with me and say certain things that are that are comforting to me. The Apostle Paul is talking about such so, so as we should have an interest with each other as the years go by. What happened to this person? What happened in their faith? I wonder what happened. There are several that I don't know how to find, how, I can, how to find out how to make contact with, but I often wonder, knowing what they came out of coming to Christ, I often wonder how the faith worked itself out, how the Lord worked in their lives after that. This is the way the Apostle Paul felt. He has a pastoral heart, but he also, he also has a deep Christian uh, conviction that brings out the interest that he has in the general, genuine relationships that have been established between him and genuine believers. He says, I couldn't, I couldn't endure it any longer. I just had to stop from traveling 
and make the decision to send Timothy back. I have to hear from you. I had to hear from you folks. I had to know. See, afflictions were already beginning. You're talking about churches in the midst of a pagan society and paganism uh, controlled the culture of the Greeks and the Romans. Um, the temples to gods and goddesses were the same thing as the headquarters of, of labor unions of certain kinds of crafts. If you, if you were skilled in this kind of craft, then, then, then the, the god or goddess that you spent most time with was at a certain temple, and that's where people knew that they could hire you for your skills. I mean, it's just, it was part of their society. It, and of course, it turned Ephesus upside down, if you remember that, and all of the, all of the skilled workers were getting saved, and they weren't going back to the temple anymore, and it seems as though it was upsetting the economy of the area uh, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it had literally stopped the worship of gods and goddesses in paganism. Now, Thessaloniki would be no different and Paul is wondering, okay, they're going to have the Jews who are against them. And then they're going to have the pagans who are against them. And so they're going to be outnumbered. How have they done? Now, we started this study out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, noting how Paul acknowledged the great work that had gone forth from the church of the Thessalonians such that there were believers in Macedonia and Achaia and that their faith was being spoken about everywhere. It, Thessaloniki was the place that was on the Egyptian way. It was a very important Roman road where people traveled a lot and especially caravans and, and uh, a heartbeat of the economy in the Roman Empire. And then, of course, the seaport that uh, exported and imported uh, goods and people coming in and going out from all over the world and the gospel of Christ. These Thessalonians were so, so wonderful and warm as Christians and so loving. They shared their faith. They, the, the gospel of Christ uh, coming into the hearts of so many people and then going out from there because these temporary people, these visitors were, were coming into the church briefly and learning of Christ and carrying the gospel with them up and down that Egyptian road and out from the seaport into the world. Paul mentions that early in his letter to the Thessalonians. And this is the great news that he gets back when Timothy comes back with this good news from Thessaloniki. So he is... He is so concerned because, and we see it develop here in this passage that we're looking at today. He was so concerned that his teaching was cut short. There was so much to teach about Christ. Let me tell you, the teaching of grace, the grace of God in Christ is an inexhaustible thing. It, it can never be exhausted. But I can understand how Paul felt when he felt that there was... So much that needed to be taught, so much more that they needed to hear. We're also going to learn in the course of this letter that they already knew a lot. They were doctrinally sound Christians, 
But there's so much more. So how are they going to handle this affliction? How are they going to handle the pressure that's going to come from Jews and going to come from pagans who are unbelievers uh, in their society and in their city? How are they going to handle it? Since Timothy, Timothy is going to bring back news. Our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, we sent Timothy, and he mentions what three things here. Number one, to strengthen you. In the faith, to strengthen you in the faith and encourage you in the faith. First of all, to strengthen. If you want to think of it as a a physical body, and Paul's teaching was was like uh, coaching them in building their bodies, Paul's thought was there are there are certain things that you still need to do and strengthen. There's still areas that, that need to be worked on. There's so many more things that you need to be taught. And these afflictions, Satan can hinder the work and Satan knows exactly how to confuse you. And one of those confusions, by the way, that Paul touches on in this letter is some of our members are dying. Our mamas and our daddies and our grandparents, they're dying. Our early believers in and, and uh, the, the foundation of the Thessalonian church. And we thought Jesus was going to come right back. What's happened to them? And Paul continues the teaching on that in this letter. And again, in 2 Thessalonians, one of the areas where they needed strengthening. So that they could understand the state of the dead. And the hope of the believer. Now... To strengthen their faith. So many things would have already been, he would have already taught them. And he only had the Old Testament. But Paul was called by God because Paul had spent most of his teenage and early years in his 20s. Teenage years and early years of his 20s. In the school of Gamaliel, he was in probably the strongest and most popular of the Jewish seminaries. And he would have become a master of Hebrew scriptures. So when Paul was arrested by Jesus on on that road uh, to Damascus, Paul now being finally sent into the desert for three years to continue to be taught by the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament in light of Christ. And now this is, this is how he he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has the gift of apostleship and he teaches with power the doctrine of Christ and all that goes with the doctrine of Christ. And he extracts it from the Old Testament. And there's so much more that he needs. He said, I, look, you don't know how, how I need you to be strengthened. Well, Timothy was prepared to do that. Number one, to strengthen them in the faith. Number two, to encourage them regarding their faith so that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. One of the things, obviously, that the Apostle Paul taught them was to expect afflictions, expect persecution. The Christian message is hated by the world. 
It's hated by religion, religious people, religionists. It's, it's hated by world governments. It's hated by all of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And so all of these things come against the believer, especially in those churches who are careful to share their faith with everybody. And that faith can go into all of the world from a strategic place like Thessaloniki. So then, to encourage them in the faith and to know that affliction is just a proof that what you're doing is the right thing. Paul continues and says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction just as it happened. And as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, and here's the third thing. I also sent Timothy, not just to strengthen and to encourage, but so that I could learn about your faith. What happened to you? What are you doing? Because I was so afraid that Satan would hinder you. I also sent to know about your faith, lest somehow the tempter has tempted you and our labor be in vain. For all the assurances that Paul had, even from the personal appearance of Christ himself before the apostle Paul and the years he spent in the desert in studies regarding Christ and the, and the scriptures and for all that he had done across the world, the Lord had done through him in shaking Europe for the cause of Christ. You know, I think Paul had that vision and, and in the night and the man from Macedonia called out and said when, when they were going to go to Asia, come to us. And Macedonia was uh, to the west. And I think of how that vision to the Apostle Paul, I suppose, somehow, is, is a direct line as to how the gospel finally came to me. My forebears in Europe and the, the growth of the church there, as, as, the, as the Holy Spirit sent it in one direction and stopped him from going in another direction. And of course, one of the results is the church at Thessaloniki here. So, how, has Satan hindered? Is the work weak? Is it meager? Has it stopped? Are they still going? Was my labor in vain? For all that Paul had experienced... And had witnessed with his own eyes in his own life, yet still he was stirred in his heart, concerned that his labor might have been in vain. Even the Apostle Paul had to learn the lesson that if God sends you somewhere, that means that God has already prepared the place for you. And for the message that you bring. And so Paul happily acknowledges receiving the good news of how things had developed. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith 
and love and that you always remember us kindly longing to see us just as we also long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we were comforted about you through your faith for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord how happy Paul must have been there in Athens he, he then finally gets the news back from Timothy this church is so active Timothy would say this church is so strong that all the way up and down the highway I heard about how they are sharing their faith everywhere and Timothy would say to Paul and when I got there I saw churches in Achaia and I saw churches in Macedonia because of the faith and the work of the church in Thessaloniki. How, how he said, man, I can really live now if you stand firm in the Lord. Not only then in genuine relationships do we have an interest, a genuine interest in the lives of other believers, but we are also moved to genuine intercession. Paul here lists a sevenfold prayer of his intercession. Number one, he gives thanks in his prayer. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God because of you? Interceding in thanksgiving that God caused your life to intersect with the lives of others. And it's always a mutual blessing. Paul is blessed. The Thessalonians were blessed. And all of those who will stand under the preaching and teaching of the Thessalonians are blessed as well. And that message just moves out from the Egyptian way, the Egyptian road, and from the seaports around the world. This mutual blessing. And he gives thanks. Paul couldn't have known. I'll tell you. You never know. All right, let me back up. The Apostle Paul had to suffer greatly physically. And I'm sure emotionally as well. Because of the way people treated him. And he didn't come to mistreat people. He came to preach to them the gospel of life. The kingdom. To live forever in the presence of the Lord. To gain a life eternally. And to live in the bless of heaven. Well, they hated him for it. They hated him and nearly killed him on more than one occasion. The shipwreck and, and the, all of the things that happened to him in his life. I won't go and enumerate all of those things. But for all that he did, he faithfully preached the gospel and he would plant churches. Believers would form a group of people and they would become a church. There is no way of knowing 
what effect that church would have in their community and from out from the community into the world. No way of knowing. Matter of fact, you cannot know these things until at last we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. You cannot know it. So, Paul would suffer these afflictions, but God used his work through the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit to do what God had directed him to do, and it still has an impact in the world. Paul's life would impact the lives of others. Then those people, their lives would impact the lives of others. And that church would cause the planting and formation of other churches in and around the area. And even out from the seaport and up and down that road across the world. There's no way of knowing. We suffer these afflictions and sometimes it seems so discouraging. But there's no way to know just what kind of effect a life has in this world empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number one, he intercedes with thanksgiving. Number two, he intercedes frequently. As we night and day pray. Number three, he prays earnestly. Now the word, the word up here uh, in the Greek text is a word that means to implore exceedingly. I mean, this isn't just a, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray thee, Lord, my soul. It's not one of those, you know, or whatever. This is the Apostle Paul agonizing before God, praying earnestly, imploring exceedingly. So he prays with thanksgiving. He prays frequently. He prays earnestly. So that he could be reunited with him, reunited with him, that we may see your face. And then number four, that he may continue to be a blessing to them and may complete what is lacking in your faith. As I said earlier, we will see in the process of studying both letters to the Thessalonians, Paul adds to the teaching and the doctrine of Christ to that which he has already given them. And it's very important teaching that of course is important for us as well. And so there are things yet still lacking and the apostle Paul wants to approach those areas that he knows need to be approached. He needs to teach these other things. All, all a preacher can do, he only has this time and these years, and that's it. And there's so much to say about Jesus Christ, the grace of God. So much to say. And a, a preacher, a teacher is, is so concerned that some will still have in their faith something lacking. 
something not yet learned that, dear God, please know, might negatively impact them when they come into the afflictions of the world. So he prays fourthly that after praying to see them personally again, that in that time he would complete what is lacking in their faith. But he continues from there. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord, so he prays then fifthly, that God would bring them together again. May God direct our way to you. Then sixthly, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. To continue to increase and abound in love for one another. Now, he brags on them early in the letter about their love for one another. But I'll tell you about Christian love. There is no, there is no limit to how it may increase and how it may abound in your life toward other believers for one another and for all people. In the maturity of the Christian faith, your love for others your first love has to be in a Christian sense, has to be for other believers. And after that, extend, extend love for all people in the best way that you can. And this is a kind of thing where a Christian doesn't start out that way. He, he doesn't understand sometimes the importance of abounding love for one another, especially in the church. But I can tell you this, as he grows in faith and as he matures as a believer, he finds his heart warming up more and more for unbelievers, even, even the unlovable. You start out thinking, man, that, that guy's a creep. But as you go through life, through a lot of prayer and Bible study and reflection and meditation, you will find out that that creep is unique in his own way. And what seemed so creepy at one time gets to the point where it just ain't so creepy anymore. I can't think of him any other way now, you know. Hello, Brother Smith. It's good to see that you've grown in your creepiness. I've learned to love it. I don't know how else I could love you except as a creep. Well, that's a crude, that's a crude illustration, I suppose. But I can tell you this. I've, 
even in the ministry, you know, you, you're always sizing people up. You think, uh-oh, I better. And I can't think of any time. Now, Pat's always right. She has discernment. I do not. It always, it always ends up that, you know, what I thought to begin with was absolutely wrong. And there's a growth of faith and love and bond. And that bond grows more and more in Christ. This is part of the Christian process, the Christian living. And this is what Paul is appealing to. I know you love one another, but let me tell you, when you really get to know one another, you don't know the greatness and the abundance of love that you can have for one another and even for the world. And I'm praying for that to increase and abound in your lives. Finally, number seven, he intercedes so that he may strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now he begins a teaching here that they're needing with this last phrase, the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. But back up here, that he may strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness. When one, is, when one comes to Christ, we are taught that a new believer is a babe in Christ. There's so much to learn. There's so many things, so many ways in which we must mature as believers. So when we come to Christ, fresh out of the world, there are, there are, you know, there are still encumbrances that often we don't realize are encumbrances unless and until we mature in the faith. And as we grow in Christ, we realize more and more how little of the world we need. I don't need that in my life. I don't need this in my life. To grow as a believer is to go stronger in your bond with the Lord and your knowledge of him and the warmth of the relationship which then flows through you toward other believers and even into the world, the people of the world grows, but you don't start out that way. And so young Christians especially sometimes can be faulted by the world because it may appear that they're still hanging on to something. That's all right. Well, it's not all right, but the last of his intercession is that God may strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness, established to be firmly fixed, to establish you in holiness before our God and Father. Because at last we must stand before God, the Lord Jesus, with all of his saints. And so we, we have this purpose as Christians in our lives 
to grow in this righteousness. And we don't understand all that there is to know about it, but it comes through the process of maturity to be taught the Bible, to read and study the Bible, to be a disciple of Christ, to be wooed and gently guided by the Holy Spirit, the one who stands beside us. As a matter of fact, that word is used, I've already gone past it, that word that is used is a word that uh, also defi- defines the Holy Spirit. Uh, man, it was way back there, wasn't it? To encourage, parakalese. Well, the word parakaleo is to call alongside. That's another word, a comforter. That's another, that's a word, a description that Jesus uses of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we're called to be as well in our lives, namely to be an encourager and to be encouraged in our faith so that we may be strengthened and encouraged in righteousness. And we owe this observation lovingly to brothers and sisters in Christ who may in some way require admonition, admonishment. Require a gentle and loving word. I note that this seems to be important in your life and you know not the same thing but something similar in my life was important to me but I just want to share with you how I was able to overcome that and, and it meant so much to me. I'm just, I don't know if this would help you or not in your life, but I just wanted to share this with you to let you know that you just don't need all of these things that come from the world. And you can grow in your righteousness before the Lord. Strengthen your hearts. Firmly fix your hearts blameless in holiness. Here's, here's, the, here's the main reason why. Because you are headed for a reckoning as a believer. For we must all, Paul write to the Corinthians, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and there our lives are examined. And this is something that we should always carry in our hearts happily. To know that he's watching us, he's examining us, and someday when we stand before him in that great day of rapture and resurrection of the church, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is what he's referencing here. That he, I'm praying that he may strengthen your hearts, blameless in holiness. That word holiness up there just means to be, to be separated a, 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 a thing of separation. A gion, a saint, is a separated one. So live your life of separation in continuing and growing separation from the world before God, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. 
with all his saints. Genuine relationships in the church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we'll have our prayer of benediction. But first comes this appeal. If you're here today and God calls you to Christ, as you exit this room, we have deacons and wives in, in rooms right across the hall as you leave. You'll see them standing in the doorway and they will pray with you. If you're here and you're already a believer and you know that in these last days you need to be a part of the local body of Christ, namely here at Shiloh, well, we need you. And they are ready to pray with you about that as well and take care of all of the details of church membership if that's what God leads you to do. So let's prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed.